Okay. So he, uh, Elijah, departed from there. He was on the mountain of God. He just went through a difficult time. God uh, began the process of restoration in his life, and God sent him back to do the work that God had called him to do. And so he went from there, from the mountain, and he came down, and he found a guy by the name of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him, and he left, that's Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, uh, first Texas barbecue right there. And he gave it to the people, and they ate, and they arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So kind of a way of introduction, Elijah, the prophet of God, was sent to the king and queen of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had divided at this time, become the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel had gone astray from the commandments of God. They began to serve idols, Baals, and Asherahs. And so God sent Elijah to the king and queen and to the people of that land to confront them uh, because of their idolatrous behaviors as the king and queen led the people of, uh, that had been the people of God into abandoning, abandoning, abandoning their worship of the one true God. God sent him with the word of the Lord and gave him the means to stop the rain over the land, which he did for three and a half years. After three and a half years, there was an incredible confrontation with the false prophets of Israel. Elijah, at the direction of God, won an incredible victory whenever he called on the God uh, uh, of whom he served. And then God lit a fire, consumed a sacrifice, and then the people were all watching this. They, they started to cry out, the Lord, he is God. Not Baal, not Asherah, the Lord, he is God. Uh, and, uh, and, and God used that to tear down many of these uh, foundations of this false system of worship. Unfortunately for Elijah, the battle did not end on that day. Being confronted by the ruling evil power over the land, speaking through the queen Jezebel, Elijah became, Elijah became afraid and ran for his life. As I said before, after a time of restoration, God renewed and refocused Elisha, Elijah and got him back on, back on track. God then commissioned him to anoint those who would help him finish the job he was originally sent to do. And one of those he, whom he anointed is Elisha, whose call to serve God we will be looking at today. So I think all of these start with the letter S, and uh, sometimes there's a better word for it, but the homiletic side of things, the preaching side of things. Uh, uh, my pastor did this, and I just try to do this as well. Sometimes, if I can, I will start everything with the same letter. So uh, the first point we're going to look at, the summons of God. First Kings 19 and 19, Elijah departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. The mantle that Elijah threw on Elisha symbolized the office of the prophet in which Elijah functioned. If you remember, John the Baptist wore a, 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 a garment of camel's hair. Well, it wasn't just a garment of camel's hair. It's not like he went to Dillard's and said, I want your best camel hair garment, please. 
that was actually a sign of a prophetic office, of a prophetic call. And so it could be that that's what he was throwing on, on uh, Elisha, but it symbolized the office of the prophet in which Elijah functioned. When he threw his mantle on Elisha, Elisha knew that God was calling him through Elijah to serve as the next prophet to Israel. Now, what I want you to notice is that Elisha was going about just doing life, right? In his case, he was a farmer. If it was us today, we would say we're a businessman. And it appears to me that he was a profitable one at that because he wasn't just plowing with one tractor. He had 12 tractors. He had 12 yokes of oxen. And I'm sure that he was just living life, doing what he knew to do, even though he was part of the people of God. That didn't mean that he, was, uh, he, did, he wasn't necessarily working in the church. He, wasn't, he probably did go to synagogue. Maybe he grew up hearing the Bible stories. Maybe he even every so often went to church. Uh, but to be called to the service of God, I don't believe, was really on his radar. In the middle of his life's activities, in the middle of working at the plant, in the middle of uh, working at Walmart, in the, in the middle of, of serving in a restaurant, in the middle of his life's activities, then all of a sudden a prophet of God, a man of God shows up and prophesies into his life or prophetically declares to him that he has a call on his life. And it's not just a call to serve God, but a call to serve God uh, in what we would call a uh, ministerial capacity, okay? Psalms 139 verse 16 says about the Lord, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So I want you to know from that scripture what the psalmist is saying is that before I was ever created, God already knew what he had created me to be and destined me to be. Now, here's the thing. Many of us go through life and we never find the destiny of God for our lives. We live life, but we never live life uh, uh, finding what he purposed us to be. It's one thing to just live life. It's another thing to live life according to what you were created to be. I found when I was, before I got saved, um, my big struggle in life was um, I didn't want to do uh, whatever it is everybody was counseling me to do. You know, I was a fairly uh, intelligent individual. Uh, I'm not saying that. They were saying that. All right? So um, they said, you should be a doctor or you should, uh, you know, what's the most a profitable thing you can be. That's what you should be. Well, I don't want to be a doctor. You know, you should do this. Well, I don't want to do that. And I was like, I felt like there was nothing that I, I, what I really wanted to do at that particular time. I, w I didn't grow up in church. I had no concept of God. I had no concept of ministry. I, what I wanted to do at that particular time is I wanted to do something called peace. What's the name of that group? Peace Corps, yeah. I wanted to help people. I wanted to. I just wanted to do that. But you know, that wasn't on my, on our radar. It wasn't on my family's radar. It wasn't on our culture's radar because you know that we didn't know God. I didn't find out that we were actually Catholic until I got saved. And then my parents said, "You're Catholic." Okay. Well, I didn't know that. 
all right? So we just had no concept, really, or God was not a part of our life. And then all of a sudden, uh, I began to uh, be invited to church. I went to church starting here in the gospel. But here's where I was going with that. Uh, even though it was important not to go to hell, I didn't want to go to hell, <laughs> you know? Even though, uh, uh, you know, going to heaven is important, you know, um, I'm not saying that, that I don't want to do that. I do want to do that. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. But I wasn't really wrestling with those. I was wrestling with now. I wanted my eternity to be, to be secure, but I was wrestling with now. I, I didn't just want to have a good reason to, I didn't want to just have a good death. I wanted to have a good life, right? It's important to have a good death, but I want to have a good life. I want to have a good reason to live. I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't depressed. I wanted any of that. I just needed to have a purpose in my life. And when I got saved, I got saved because God gave me purpose in life. It's like I found uh, who created me, and in finding who created me, I was going to find what he created me to do. Amen? I had a reason to, to focus, uh, a reason to live. I wasn't just going out sailing. If I was a boat, I had a light in the distance that I was sailing towards. And that was important for me. In Jeremiah 1 and 5, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God didn't reveal Jeremiah's call until he was about 17 years old. So for 17 years of his life, he was just living. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and he says, I know you've been living, but I'm telling you, this is what I called you to do. And when God revealed himself to me, he wasn't just saying, hey, man, I want you to get saved. He was saying, I have a purpose and I have a destiny. This is what I've created you to do. And by the way, every last one of us has been created by God, destined by God to do something. Doesn't mean that you're all going to be in a pulpit preaching, but we'll all be declaring the goodness and the glory of God if we come into connection with God, but we might be doing it in the business world. We might be doing it as a teacher. We might be doing it as an educator. We might be doing it as a nurse. We might be doing it as an artist. We might be doing it as an entertainment. We might be doing it in politics. <gasps> you said politics in church. God calls people to go into government. We need Christians to go into government if you're called to go into government because how in the world are we going to change this world by just sitting in church and doing nothing? Well, prayer is something. Yes, prayer is something, but a prayer only means something when you're willing to do something and back that prayer up with something. You can pray about getting people saved all day long, but if you don't go out and talk to them, they're not going to get saved. I'm meddling now, sorry. That's the preacher in me. Okay, Matthew 4, 18 and 20, we, 18 through 20, we got a couple of other guys who were doing business. They had a fishing business. They were profitable at it. They were doing well. Not this particular night. Maybe this quarter wasn't so good, but they wouldn't be in business if they were, if they were failing. So they had to be doing something right. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. What were they were doing? They were working their business, Right? And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you a new business. I'm going to give you a new purpose. I'm going to give you a new destiny. And what they're going to find out, though, is this is, this is what they were always destined to do. God didn't just all of a sudden now say, ah, change my mind. I don't want you to be fishermen anymore. I want you to be this. I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be my apostles. No, from the beginning of time, he had ordained that to them, but he was just now revealing it to them. I don't know about you, but I want to know my purpose before I get too far along doing something else. 
Now, I'm grateful that God called me when I was 21 years old. God saved me and God called me when I was 21 years old. But I'd have been even more grateful if I'd have known from when I was 12. But I'm grateful either way, because if not, if I hadn't revealed himself to me, I'd still be a wandering Aramean, to use biblical language, right? So anyway, when he called them, they immediately left their nets, and they followed after him. These men who we know as apostles were like Elijah, minding their own business, literally. And Jesus calls them to follow after him, not just to believe, but to serve. And what I want to emphasize this morning is that you may be aware already of a call of God on your life to serve Him, but for some, it may never have been on your radar. It may not have been anything you ever wanted. Yet that doesn't mean it wasn't on His. Today might be the day that He walks over to you and calls you to follow Him, or He walks over to you and throws a mantle of service on your shoulders by, by, by speaking to you through the Spirit of God, through somebody that's praying for you that God has a call on your life. Reminds me of Uncle Sam, little finger pointing, you know, what is, what is, what is it? I want you, right? So, second point we're going to look at, again, starts with the letter S, the supremacy of God. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, he left, Elisha left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow after you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Now I want you to see that Elisha means God is salvation or my God is salvation. Now what we find is that when he had the mantle thrown on his life or placed on him, when Elisha was called to become the next prophet of Israel, he ran after a guy named Elijah. Their name sounds the same, but it's not the same, and it means something different. Why is this significant to me? Is because Elijah means God is Lord, or my God is Lord. So uh, Elisha, my God is salvation, is running after my God is Lord. So to truly experience the fullness of the Christian life, to truly experience what it is to be a follower of God, we must embrace and accept this quality of God called the Lordship of God. All right? Uh, to truly experience the Christian life and all that God has tended it to be, you must embrace the foundation that God is Lord. Second, in order to understand the calling of God, we must grasp and solidify the foundation of that relationship. And basically, it's very simple. He's Lord, we're not. He's in charge, we're not. He leads, we follow. There's too many people that get saved today that are inviting Jesus into their life. But when you're inviting Jesus into your life, you lead, he follows. Wrong foundation for a God, uh, godly type relationship. Well, I want Jesus in my life. I'm not saying from that to be reconciled with God is not good. But Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to follow after you. He said, no, if you were to come after me, must you must deny yourself. And what that really means is deny your right to self-rule. Take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow after me. So the throne of your life only has room for one person to sit on that. And that's either going to be you or it's going to be God. And here's the thing. You're in church this morning. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, oh, that's where I'm at. I didn't realize I was here. Yeah, you're in church this morning. 
People don't come to church because everything's going good. I wasn't saved either at one point. I know that you don't just go to church because everything's going good. Usually you go to church because there's an issue in your life, and they're right about that time that you're vulnerable. Somebody invites you to church, and because it looks like there may be something there, you go. I like to describe it this way, okay? If your life was a car, and don't get hung up on what kind of car you are, but if I was... <laughs> Some of you are trucks, some of you are Yugos, and some of you are smart cars. Anyway, you're driving your car, and your car ain't looking so hot. The reason your car ain't looking so hot, now I'm purposely using the word ain't because I was messing with some kids this morning because they said ain't. Your car is not looking so hot because you've been driving. And you're not a very good driver. Your, your car is dented. Your car is not maintained well. Your car is uh, gasping. Your car is breathing. I mean, it may be moving along, but it ain't what it was. It ain't what it should be. And somebody says, I can help you. And you go to church. And when you go to church, they start telling you about the Christian message. They start telling you about the Lord. And you said, I want God to help me in my life. And so what we do and the way we presented the gospel and the way you receive the gospel is we say, well, I want Jesus in my life. If he's going to help me with my car, he's going to help me get better. Remember, your car is your life. You open the door and say, God, come into my life. Now, the reason you're in church is because you've been driving. The problem is you invite Jesus into your car, but guess who keeps driving? And you think your life's going to change. It's never going to change as long as you keep driving. Right? Well, I asked Jesus into my life. Yeah, you asked Jesus into your life, but you're not giving him permission to drive. The only way your life is going to change is when you let Jesus drive. No, I don't want to let Jesus drive because if I let Jesus drive, he might take me somewhere I don't want to go. I'm telling you up front. He will take you somewhere you don't want to go. But wherever he takes you is always good. Even the sheep didn't want to follow after Jesus, but they did. They say, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the most important thing is you are with me. Why are they going through the valley of shadow of death? Not because it's their choice, but because the shepherd is leading them there. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. But I'm not going to get there unless I'm willing to follow him through the valley. I'm not going to get to the promised land unless I'm willing him to follow him out of Egypt into the desert. Well, I don't want to go that way. That's your choice. But see, the foundation for the Christian life is he's God, you're not. And so it's not giving... Uh, Jesus coming into my life is me surrendering my life to God. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to self and I live to God. Not my will, but thy will be done. Are you seeing? Are you getting it? 
Matthew 16, 24, that's where that scripture was. He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross. Romans 10 and 9, the scripture that we use to get saved, many times we don't really realize what it's saying. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Savior, is that what it says? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. Galatians 2.20, I already read that to you. Uh, John 21.17 through 19, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch, yourself, you stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying but what, by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. When we come to Christ, when we are on a proper foundation, it is no longer what I wish it is what he wishes. My life is his. Well, he can't make me. No, he cannot. But if you truly, truly grasp his love, if you truly, truly experience his goodness, then like Mary Magdalene, you're going to be worshiping at his feet. You're going to give him everything you have. You're going to say, Lord, whatever you desire of me, you are so good, God, that I'm giving my life to you freely. So the third point we get to is the superiority of God. First Kings 19, 19 through 21, and he left the ox and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using their oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. So two different ways of understanding this text. First, it can be understood as Elijah telling Elisha, and this is how I, I used to understand it, it's your call, not mine. It's his call, not mine. You received it. Now you do with it whatever you think you should do. If you want to embrace the call, embrace the call. If you don't want to embrace the call, don't embrace the call. That's up to you. Your call. Second way of understanding this is Elisha is telling him, fine, you go and do what you say you need to do, but remember today what's been done to you. Don't forget the call. Don't forget what has God has done in your life. In other words, whatever you do, don't forget the primacy of that call. Matthew 6, 20, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I remember uh, when I was working from a pastor, I tell this story a lot, but it means something to me. Hopefully it'll mean something to you. Um, he would tell me when I was working for him this many, many years ago that he had friends that uh, were pastors and they went through rough times in ministry, so they had to get a secular job. And when they got a secular job, one thing that it re they realized when they were doing secular work, he said, you don't have you don't have uh, uh, to deal with the contentions. You don't have to deal with all the problems. You don't have to deal with all the responsibilities. You're not anxious. You're not fearful. You know, all these kind of things. And so they didn't go back to ministry. And I thought to myself, I don't want that to ever happen to me. And I actually have 
a, 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 a sense that everybody goes through this. And when I was a pastor, uh, uh, I was a pastor for five years, and um, very quickly uh, you can become disillusioned with pastoring because um, you're dealing with real people, and then there's also an enemy, and he wants to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. And so after five years, uh, I no longer wanted to pastor, and after five years, the people I was pastoring no longer wanted me to pastor. So we both mutually agreed it was time for me not to pastor there anymore. So um, I was decided I was going to be an evangelist. Now, that was a mistake because it was me wanting to do that, not the Lord. And so I tried. I couldn't find anything. I tried to get something. So I ended up, uh, uh, the only job I could find, and here's the reason I took this job, because I had opportunities. I had a bachelor's degree. I had a master's degree. Uh, um, but in order to do something, people won't hire you if they think that if they train you, you're going to go back to do what you originally uh, uh, purposed to do. And so um, I had somebody actually counsel me, I can get you a job at the plants, just don't tell them, you know, that you have a master's degree or tell them that, you know, you want to go back to pastoring. Well, but that would be lying. And he said, you want to get a job, it's what you have to do. And something inside of me remembered those guys that my, my pastor had told me about, and I said, the most important thing that God has placed in my life is a call to serve him and how he chose me to serve. It doesn't mean that I don't, it's wrong to work in, uh, uh, and to get a job, to have to do this, but I can't forget the primacy of the call. I can't forget that that is who I am. That is what God called me to do. I can't let that become secondary in my life. So I took a job, uh, um, instead of finding a job that took paid 15, 20, 25 dollars an hour, I took a job that paid me seven dollars an hour. And the job was, remember, I'm, I've been a pastor for church, I have a bachelor's degree, I have a master's degree, and the job was to dig pits. For five and a half months, I dug pits for the, um, the telephone people to find underground splices. It was my job to dig the pit. Literally, <laughs> this is so ironic, literally, because I had a lot of problems in my life. I was angry, I was upset, all these kind of things. But literally, I was in a pit that I dug myself every day. And when that hit me, I said, God, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it hit home. It hit home. And then my, my uncle at that particular time came and offered me a job, and he said, I'll pay you like 10 or, I can't remember if it was 10 or 12. I think I, I only ended up, call, at, the, at the end, I, I was there for three years, and I think I only ended up making $14 an hour. And, and he told my brother once, he said, if, you're, if, you're, if your brother would just commit to me, I would really take care of him. But what did it mean to commit to him? It would mean I have to say goodbye to my call. And I remember every day, uh, many, many days, walking into churches, no matter what, how much I'd been hurt, no matter what, God began to restore and heal me. But I remember thinking to myself when I was working that job, as if I could only turn the keys of the door, the church door again. If I could only open the keys of the church door again. And, and, and three and a half years later, the Lord led me here. But I tell you that story to let you know is there's always opportunities to let go of the call. I know people that get hurt, that things don't, they get disillusioned, things don't, get, don't go the way, and they end up leaving ministry and they never come back. You can't do that. You, you can't lose the, uh, what did I call that, the uh, supremacy of the call? 
you can't lose, lose that. What we see Elijah doing next is he's saying goodbye to his family. Matthew 10, 37 through 39, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Can I counsel some of you younger guys that aren't married yet? Don't marry somebody that is not willing to embrace the call. We don't need to be alone. We don't want to be alone. God said it's not good to be alone. But loneliness is not a reason to marry whoever's available. Because if they don't have the same passion and the same desire and the same call to follow after God, you're going to be at a struggle and you're going to try to figure out what I need to do because I want to serve God, but my spouse doesn't. You've got to determine what is the most important thing in your life. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you from, I'm 50, I'll be 59 years old. I got saved when I was 21. I'm telling you from my life that the most important thing you can do is find someone that is compatible with you in your call and what God has called you to do. I, I found somebody, actually, she was saved before I was, but wherever I felt like the Lord wanted me to go, my wife was willing to go with me. She was willing to work so that we could have the, 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 fulfill the call that we have on our lives. Right? And so I'm thankful for that. But imagine, and I know people that, that imagine that they, they, they feel like they have a call in their lives, but their wife doesn't, and their life is miserable, can even be described as hell on earth, because they're trying to, they're, they're double-minded in the way they're living lives, and many of them leave ministry because they can't fulfill the ministry in their life because they need to take care of the family. All right? So be careful about who you marry. The Bible does say he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? It's a good thing to find a wife, but make sure you find a compatible wife, not just one that is a Christian, but one that is willing to embrace the call that you have in your life. So we are also seeing Elisha say goodbye to what was his previous life. And when he was saying goodbye to his previous life, he's burning his bridges and fully committing to do what God has called him to do. And I want you to know, that's a difficult thing to do. I hear these, these guys getting on YouTube sometimes and said, you want to serve in ministry, but you don't want to ask for money, or you don't want to be in a position where this, that's hogwash. What they're basically saying is, you get yourself in a position where you can serve God and you don't have to worry about money. Well, that's wonderful, but they don't work that way. You're going to serve God whether the money's there or not, and you have to trust God to provide. You're not going to serve God when everything's going good. That's really what they're saying. You get everything going good, and then you can serve God. No, uh-uh. You serve God, and then you trust God to take care of the rest. Are you hear what I'm saying? God's faithful, but you're going to have to have some faith. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to step out on the water sometimes when he says go. He's got to be first in your life, Right? Philippians 3, uh, uh, 7 through 8 says, What things were gained to me, Paul says, these I've counted as lost for Christ. Yeah, indeed, I count all things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now listen, some of you may be called to go to and get regular degrees, even if you have a call on your life, but I was asked to go and get a Bible college degree, and then I was asked to go and get a seminary degree. Well, these are wonderful if you're doing what you're called to do, but they don't help you in the everyday world. So what am I doing? What I had to decide to do is, I'm, I didn't really think, I'm not, I didn't think this all out, but the bottom line is to burn my bridges, Right? 
because I could have gone and got an a engineering degree and then started serving ministry in case something failed and then I can go back to engineering, but I'm not burning my bridges, am I? Now, if the Lord leads you to do that, that's one thing, but he didn't lead me to do that. So I had to take my ambitions, my desires, my ways of doing things, and I had to say goodbye and burn them, put them on a par, and burn them up and say, God, I'm all in, whatever you ask me to do. And sometimes God asks you to do that, right? Likewise, if we're called to serve him, we must continually fend off any temptations that we have. And the thoughts that I have are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that want to pull us away, not only from serving God, but also fulfilling the call to ministry. That's Matthew 13, 22. Paul said to, second, in second, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So that brings us to our fourth point, the service of God. 1 Kings 19, 21. Then he, Elisha, arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. I think uh, uh, Brother Dr. Leon, who was here with us, and he said, how you, how you serve, how you serve God begins, if you're not willing to do it with a toilet brush, he calls it the toilet bowl ministry or something like that. If you're not willing to do, to clean toilets and do whatever needs to be done, then God won't entrust you to take care of his people. Because you're not called to a position of prominence, you're called to service. I don't know. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I believe what was Elisha doing when he followed after Elijah? I just think he was doing his underwear. He was washing his clothes. He was waxing his car. Wax on, wax off. He was painting his fence. Whatever he needed done, that was his job. You might, well, wait a minute. I'm called to be the next prophet. This, I got people coming here. They'll say, I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm prophet this. Or I've been called that. Yeah, but are you willing to do what needs to be done? Are you willing to serve greeting at the door? Are you willing to, 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 to are you come to men's work days? Are you willing to clean? Are you willing to paint? Are you willing to do? No, because I'm prophet. I'm, I'm bishop. I'm this. I'm that. Whatever the case may be. Well, I don't care who you are. If you're not willing to serve, then you're of no use. The last thing, but not the least, is the call of Elisha. So Elisha was not called to a position of prominence. He was called to serve. The call of God is a call to serve God by serving his people. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 36-38, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. To do what? To take care of the people. Why do we serve God? By serving his people. We do so because of love. Love and service are intertwined. I like a new word I learned. They're conflated. They mingle together. Love, true godly love, serves. Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't use it for your own benefit. Use it to bless others. I, I use this illustration a lot because some of you probably struggle with that. I, I used to get on Facebook and I could see what you guys were doing, but I don't do that anymore. But I'm pretty sure you're still doing it. Hello. 
this, this thing about uh, Christians today, what's the least I can do and still be a Christian? Can I drink and still be a Christian? Can I go to the bars and still be a Christian? Can I go to a disco and still be a Christian? Can I play the lotto and still be a Christian? And the, the point is not, I'm not going to address all these subjects, but the point is, what's the least I can do and still be a Christian? But all you're worried about is you. Christianity is not about you. If you're growing in Christ, Jesus didn't die for him. He died for you. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Now, the question becomes, let's just talk about drinking. This a lot of Christians today, it's okay to drink. It's okay to drink, you know? And biblically, it's not whether or not it's okay to drink or not in the sense that is alcohol evil. It's not alcohol that's evil. It's what alcohol can do to you and others around you. And so you may be free to drink in the sense that it doesn't, it doesn't ruin your life, but what if in your freedom somebody else decides to drink and it ruins theirs? Paul says, I don't, no, I don't not do things because of what I can do. I'm free to do everything. I don't not do things because it'll bring harm on other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What if somebody gets the idea that drinking, I'm a pastor, and gets the idea that I'm drinking, I'm drinking, I don't, but I drink, and therefore, pastor drinks, there's no reason for me to drink, and the next thing you know, you got three or four drunks going to alcoholic, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Why? Because they saw pastor drinking. You see, that's a selfish way of living life. That's an immature way of living life. As you grow in Christ, it's not about what I'm free to do, it's what will be a benefit for everybody else. You still love the Lord? You still glad you came to church this morning? I'm just dealing with one issue. But it's not just that issue. There are many, many issues. This isn't new. It happens, it's been happening all throughout Christian history. It's a, it's, we, we live life selfishly. Then we get saved, and we continue to live life selfishly, not realizing that as we grow in Christ, it's not selfishness, it's selflessness that maturity looks like. So uh, Jesus not only modeled the servant life, but he also taught the disciples that the life he called them to was to serve as he himself served. He was their teacher in this, but he was also their example. Mark 10, 42 through 45, Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so for you. Whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So first of all, Jesus didn't say that you couldn't be great in the kingdom. We want to say there is no greatness in the kingdom. And Jesus didn't say that. He says there is greatness in the kingdom. But the way you become great in the kingdom is not by going up, but by going down. If you want to get to the top in the kingdom, you've got to go to the bottom. You see, we think, we think that being a leader, you're at the top of a pyramid, but the leaders in the kingdom of God are at the bottom of the pyramid. See, when you're at the top of the pyramid, everybody around you is there to support you. When you're at the bottom, you're there to support everybody else. Whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. How did he serve? To give his life as a ransom 
for many. In John 13, 12 through 17, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In the book of Acts, the apostles, having learned and made service uh, of others, the foundation for the leadership uh, of their lives, but now they began to do it for the leadership of the church as well. Because in Acts 6, 2 through 4, the Bible says, The twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should lead the word of God and serve tables. Let me give you the background. Uh, the, the church was uh, a Jewish, but there was a, a uh, division in the church because there was a division in the culture. If you were a Jew and spoke Hebrew, you were better than a Jew that spoke Greek. Whether that's true or not is not to be debated. It just was. It's kind of like if you've ever known somebody that speaks Spanish from Spain and somebody that speaks Spanish from any other part of the world, the people from Spain believe that they are better than the people that speak any other type of Spanish. Just, is it right? No, but that's just the way they believe. It's what happened here. So what happened was when they were giving away what had come in because of the free will offerings of the people to take care of the widows, they were giving it to the widows that spoke Hebrew first, and then whatever was left would go to the widows that spoke Greek. Well, that's, you would think, okay, Hebrews first, next time Greeks first. No, it was always Hebrews first. It was creating problem. It was creating division in the church. So the apostles, the 12, the leaders of the church got everybody together, and they came to a decision. They said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, that seems like a bad thing until you understand what's happening here. Okay, they're saying, uh, um, you know, uh, we can't do what we do, and this as well. They're not saying it's not wrong to serve tables, and they're not saying that they wouldn't serve tables. And I'll get you there in a minute. What they're saying is where the Lord has called them to serve, they can't do that well and also serve somewhere else. And I'll show you where that is. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this affair, over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And by the way, that word ministry is the same word used for serving tables. In other words, they say, uh, just the same as we're going to have people serve tables, we're going to continue to serve God by serving the Word. You, the church, give me the freedom to serve you the Word. Now, I'm thankful for that. I hope you're thankful for that, right? I can't, I used to at one time, uh, uh, when I didn't know any better, I used to do everything. Now, I'm not necessarily here in another church. I was doing everything. I opened, turned on the lights, turned on the ACs. I taught Sunday school. I, I did worship. I did altar service. I did uh, uh, preaching. Um, you know, I closed everything. Uh, and then I, and, and I, and I took people to lunch. <laughs> was the Rick Helguero show, right? Uh, there was a lot of reasons for that, but the bottom line is I was doing everything, but that's not what God's called me to do, and it's not what God's called you to do. If you're doing everything, you can't be effective at one thing, right? So what does God do? Many hands make for light, 
work. The more people you get involved, you know, uh, I, could, I could come in here. I'm so grateful for Wayne. He comes up uh, every week or so and he mows the grass. But because he does that, I don't have to do that. But in some churches, it's expected that that's what the pastor would do as well. Well, guess what? It's not that I can't. It's not that I won't. You know, but the reality is the more, t- if I'm, I'm mowing the grass, I'm doing maintenance, I'm doing all these kind of things, which I don't mind doing. But if I'm doing all of that, how much time do I have left to be effective in what God's called me to do, which is to serve the Word? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We all have to realize, and, and the point of all this is that everything is about service. We are still serving, whether it's serving the Word, whether it's serving by helping around the church, whether it's serving by, by mowing, whether it's serving by teaching Sunday school, whether it's serving by counting the money, by being a deacon, by being an usher. It's all service. And it doesn't matter whether you're back there or whether you're here. It's still serving. It's doing what the Lord wants you to do. So the apostle also describes his summon his call as a call to serve. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Notice that Paul said that he made himself a servant to all. God made Paul a son and an apostle. Paul made himself in attitude a servant. Right? We're all sons and daughters of a king. That's what God's called us to. But our hearts should be a heart of a servant. A call to leadership is not a call to dominate, control, or manipulate the people entrusted to us by God. Instead, it is a call to lead them by serving them. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24, All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. And the context is, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful for you. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or not all things are going to build you up. So in other words, I can do a lot of things, but they won't all be helpful for you. So bottom line is, I don't do them. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Even at the end of his life, when trying to figure out the will of God for what would soon happen to him, it was this foundation of serving that helped him to find out what the next season of his life would be. In Philippians 1, 21 through 26, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. In other words, I'm ready to go. I want to go. Because life was not easy for Paul. He was in jail. He was hurt. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Life was just not easy. The call was not easy for, for Paul. And he's like, I'm ready to go. Nevertheless, and it's kind of like he's debating here, nevertheless, eh, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So for me, it's better to go. For you, it's better for me to stay. And being confident of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue with all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So it's kind of like Paul says, I'm kind of on a fence. I'm not sure what God's going to do. And then all of a sudden, he starts to think about what the Lord is like, what, he, what his purpose is. And when he comes to the end, he says, well, I want to go to the Lord, but I know the Lord's called me to serve. And so, ah. Uh, I know I'm going to be coming again to you because this is God's heart. This is who God is, and this is what God would have me do. It's not what's best for me. 
It's what's best for you. So how do we end this? What we saw in our text is that God calling Elisha to be the, God is calling Elisha to be the next prophet of Israel. The summons he was issued was not a call to greatness the way the world views it, but was in fact a call to serve. Elisha was called to serve God by serving his people. God's calling still his people to serve him, and his calling to serve him is not relegated to the pages of the Bible. God is still in the business of calling people into his service, and he's still calling people into ministry. In Isaiah, uh, there was a guy by the name of Isaiah, who was a prophet. He got called up into an experience with God. God cleansed his lips, and he's cleansed his lips. All of a sudden, he heard the voice of God, and what he heard in Isaiah 6 and 8, he said, whom shall I go, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And when Elisha, when, when Isaiah Isaiah, excuse me, heard that call, heard that voice going on forth. He could not help himself but saying, here am I, send me. Now, my question to you is, with the preaching going on today, what God's been doing in your life, uh, how God's been leading you through, through, through the things that he's been doing in you this past coming month, this week, past season of your life, is God calling you?